0: Well, good evening. We are thankful that you are here this evening and for the opportunity to study together for just a few moments. Appreciate the singing of that song. I asked Charles to lead that even kind of late notice this afternoon and appreciate him doing that. We're going to come back to that in just a few moments. So I hope that you were singing that with some thought, with paying attention there and thinking about that and those words of that song for a few moments, because we will come back to that here towards the end of our lesson. If you've got your Bibles, you can be turning to the book of Joshua. We're going to cover Joshua tonight as best we can, as we've tried to say each month. uh, 24 chapters and 24 minutes or 30 minutes or so is kind of tough, and uh, it's kind of hard for some of the longer books. But we're going to do our best to take a look at the book of Joshua tonight as a part of our Book of the Month Club that we've kind of been calling it. And uh, I think it'll be beneficial to you. Hopefully there's a few points along the way to be drawn out, maybe some things that you know. Maybe some things you hadn't thought about in that particular way. But tonight, we want to think about the book of Joshua. Joshua is the first of 12 historical books. So if you think about it for just a moment, the way you know your Old Testament, Joshua is the first of 12 historical books. It actually kind of bridges the gap between what we call the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Old Testament there, Genesis through Deuteronomy, sort of bridges the gap from the Pentateuch, through the rest of the history of Israel. And again, we think about the Old Testament and all that comes later with the kings and the judges and the prophets and all that we've talked about and all that you know about the Old Testament. Joshua kind of begins that process. It kind of bridges that gap. And when we think about what we've been looking at even so far this year, we've talked about Joseph here recently. From the book of Genesis and the end of Genesis, and even last Sunday morning, as we kind of bridge the gap over to Exodus, and we thought about the fact that there was a king that arose that did not know Joseph there in Exodus, we meet Moses. And then we think about Moses and what takes place in Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, leading on up to the book of Joshua. Joshua is here beginning this sort of section, if you will, and there's a good bit to consider. I'm going, ahead, going to go ahead and put all of this up here. I did not put this outline uh, in the bulletin for the sake of space, but this is, if you're jotting down notes on the side or in the space there in your bulletin, sort of a breakdown. Uh, Joshua 1 through 12 is the conquest of the land. Of course, as we think about the destruction of Jericho and what takes place there, Uh, There is this conquest of the land. We're going to come back across this thought several times tonight. Not only the idea of conquest, but victory. As we sang just a few moments ago, faith is the victory. As we think about military. And military might, that is a part of the book of Joshua, especially the first 12 chapters as you think about the conquest of the land of Jericho here and all that's going to take place with that. Then we move on into the division of the land. When you get on to chapters 13 through 22 or so there, there's a good bit of material that maybe is a little harder to read. We talk a lot about the Old Testament, about the genealogies that are there, and the begat, and the begat, and so on and so forth. Well, when it comes to some of the names that are in Joshua and the division of the land, it may not be the most interesting thing for you to read, even though there is some other good stuff that we're going to look at tonight. But we do see a good, significant portion of the book dedicated to the division of the land. And then the last two chapters, and in particular, we'll come back to chapter 24, maybe even several times tonight, we read Joshua's farewell address. If you were with us last Sunday morning, as we talked about from Jacob to Joseph, and we thought about those farewells, Joseph has a pretty powerful farewell as well. And there is, of course, one of the more famous verses Uh, and all of the Old Testament located there in Joshua 24 that we'll come back to. So that's sort of a a brief breakdown. Uh, I will tell you this, and and you can do your own research if you ever have, but, but you can find six different scholars or six different writers who will give you six different ways to break down a particular book. This is just kind of the one that I chose to go with, but it gives us kind of a general overview. When we think about the man, Joshua, I'm going to go ahead and throw some of these up there. And uh, you already have a few blanks to be filling in there if you have your bulletin in front of you. But the man Joshua, the name Joshua means Yahweh, the word for God that we think about. Yahweh is salvation. The name Joshua means Yahweh is salvation. That's interesting as we think about that. Because when you think about Joshua, Joshua is known as a leader. I mean, there's no doubt about that. Of all the things that are studied in the Old Testament, of all the people that are studied, and especially when it comes to leadership, Joshua's there. I mean, he is a leader. But what's interesting is you think about his name. Yahweh is salvation. Joshua is the leader, but what we see all throughout the book is that the Lord is the conqueror. Joshua is the leader, but the Lord is the conqueror. And so the idea of Yahweh is salvation is interesting because even his name says, I may be the leader, this may be my name, but salvation is of the Lord. The Lord is the conqueror. And through all of these different military campaigns, all of these different enemies that they're going to face, Joshua is pointing back to God. Joshua, of course, is a man of great courage. Uh, We don't have to have that on the screen or even... Uh, point out anything particular at this moment, but Joshua is a man of great courage. As you really think about from the time that we meet him on forward here into the book of Joshua and to the end with his farewell, he's a man of great courage. As it says there in number two on the screen, he is a, a servant of Moses. Uh, he was at Moses' side. Uh, we read that several places, even in the book of Exodus, that he was at Moses's side. One of the interesting facts about that, of course, is that he waited... Joshua waited at Mount Sinai while Moses was on the mountain receiving the 10 commandments and everything else. Joshua was waiting, which is interesting, because that means Joshua wasn't in the valley there with everyone else when the things were going on with the golden calf. Joshua was waiting there on the side, if you will, or at another place for Moses to come down. He wasn't a part of the idolatry that was taking place there. We read several different places, not necessarily in this book, but of course in previous books, that he was at Moses's side. Maybe he was groomed. We might use that phrase, but he was a servant of Moses. And of course, we know as one of the first places that we really sort of meet him there, that he was one of the two faithful spies that we read about in Numbers chapter 13. I thought this was interesting. If you think about the, uh, Joshua and his age, he was 39 years old, we read, when they were leaving Egypt, which means he was 40 years old as a spy, one of the two faithful spies, which means that he was 80 years old when he took over for Moses, and we read in the Bible that he was 110 years old when he died. A pretty full life with a great number of things that were going to take place. Even as he took over for Moses, and in those 30 or so years at the end of his life, as what we would sometimes maybe say is an aged person today and the way our, you know, lifespan is today at 80 years old, but he's going to lead. He's going to lead in these campaigns. He's going to lead the children of Israel, even up into the age of 110, where he dies there. He's going to do a great number of things. And of course, he is very central as we think about the children of Israel. It's interesting because we, we, we have certain, uh, conceptions in our mind. We have certain ideas And some of that comes from Scripture. Think about, as we even said last Sunday morning, how many times the Old Testament says Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And rightfully so, not trying to knock any of those guys. But Joshua doesn't always find himself maybe inserted into that conversation. But as he takes over for Moses... He's got a lot to do. He's got a lot in front of him in those last few years of his life. And that's kind of what we're going to focus on tonight as we think about a few more things from the book of Joshua. A few key verses for you. If you've got your Bible and you'd like to follow along, Joshua chapter 1 verses 5 through 6 first of all. Joshua chapter one, verses five through six. You might even could go so far as verses five through nine because God is giving a commission to Joshua. He is giving him a vote of confidence, if you will. Notice these two verses in particular. God says, no man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and of good courage, for to this people you shall divide as an inheritance the land which I swore to their fathers to give them. You see it on in verse number 7. You see it on again in verse number 9. Be strong, and we sing courageous. Be strong and of good courage. The Lord is giving Joshua this commission, and he's giving him this vote of confidence. Let me ask you for just a moment to try to put yourself in not only the position of Joshua, but the position of the children of Israel think about this for just a minute Moses is all they've known Moses is all they've known Moses has been the leader for so long that's that's all they've known and now you're asking Joshua to step in and take his place I've told you before that that the idea for these lessons kind of came from uh, our brother Chad Dollahy, who preaches down in Bremen. He goes to Bible camp with us, and I knew he was doing this and thought it might be a good idea to kind of work through the books like this as well. I was listening to his lesson when he spoke on Joshua and seeing if there was any other points to kind of grasp from what he said, and he made the point the very first Sunday he preached at Bremen. The very first Sunday that he had taken the work there, and I don't know how many years ago that was, or even how many years ago he did this lesson. But he was sort of, of course, the new guy on the block. And he said that he preached this particular text on that very first Sunday because of the change. And, you know, I thought that's interesting, especially, of course, in relation to our relationship here at Soddy. For a man who'd been in the pulpit for 33 years that had been here. For many of you, that's may have been all you've known for a long time. It's interesting to consider that change. Moses was all that they've ever known. And yet here, God is speaking confidence into Joshua saying, I will be with you. I will help you. I will not forsake you, but be strong and of good courage. And so this change in leadership that takes place here, it's kind of a big deal. Because they have known Moses for so long. And you can imagine the murmuring among the people. Well, are we sure that Joshua's the guy? Do we think that he can do this? And yet Joshua's ready, especially with the confidence of the Lord here. Joshua chapter 6 and verse number 2. I think this is an interesting passage. If you've got your Bible, and maybe it's even marked up here, this is the destruction of Jericho. We're going to march around, as crazy as it sounds, March around a city and bring the walls down by simply doing what the Lord said. But notice what happens in Joshua chapter 6 and verse number 2. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. Now why does that verse mean anything? What's, What's going on with the walls of Jericho here? They're still up. The walls of Jericho are still up and God is saying to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. Most of us would be turning around saying, what? Are you sure? I mean, the walls are still up. We've still got work to do. What do you mean that you've given Jericho into our hands? But God says it, even before the walls are down, I have given Jericho into your hand. And so as we think about Joshua and we think about the faith that he needed, we think about the faith that he showed, here he is. He's looking at these great walls that they've got to try to bring down. God is going to give them the instructions on how to do it. But while they're still up, God says, it's done. It's as done as we sang this morning that we have a victory in Jesus. It's done. The victory is won. And God says those encouraging words here to Joshua, even while they're looking at the task that is ahead of them. If you've got your Bible there, you can go forward towards the end of the book. Joshua chapter 21, verses 43 through 45. This is an interesting passage because of what our lesson was a couple of weeks ago. If you recall, I think it was about two weeks ago now. On Sunday morning, we had a lesson on the unchanging God that we serve. And we made the point that God's promises are sure. Notice in Joshua 21, beginning in verse number 43. So the Lord gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it and dwelt in it. The Lord gave them rest all around, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And not a man of all their enemies stood against them. The Lord delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which the Lord had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. As I was looking at this lesson again, even this afternoon, I I realized I missed a point. I missed a reason here or a chance to use this verse or these verses last week or two weeks ago in that lesson on the unchanging God. Think about it again. When we put our history and we think about the history of the children of Israel, this is several hundred years, several hundred years after God has made the promise to Abram. God made the promise to Abraham and we have to wait several hundred years until we see the promise fulfilled. But we must be reminded, God is not on our timetable. He doesn't work the way that we think he should work in the time that we think he should. But even without that being the case, God's promises are sure. I believe it was a couple weeks ago we talked about 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 9 that some men count slackness, but the Lord is not slack in that way because God doesn't look at slackness the way that we do. He doesn't look at time the way that we do. And even though it may be several hundred years later, as it says there in verse number 45, all came to pass. What a comfort. What a comfort to go back and to think about that. That yes, we may have had to do some wandering. Yes, we may have gone through some defeats, but all came to pass. God's promises are sure. He's not on our timetable. And regardless if it's a day, an hour, or a hundred years, His promises are sure. And we can take comfort in that. We can take comfort in it in the New Testament. We can take comfort in it in the Old Testament. And we will take comfort in it. On the day of judgment as well if we will be found faithful and it's comforting to think about that even here in the book of joshua one more and it's the one that you know so well joshua 24 in verse number 15. many of you may have it up in your house like we do at ours and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the lord choose this day whom you will serve whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. When we consider great speeches, maybe not even great uh, farewell speeches, but you go back through history, we talk about JFK or Martin Luther King Jr. or or any number of people who have given great speeches. There's a pretty good one here in Joshua chapter 24. And of course, it holds this thrust in it here in in chapter 24 in verse number 15. As for me and my house, We will serve the Lord. What a consideration. And we're going to come back to that in just a few moments as we conclude our lesson and make some applications. So if you'll hold right there, we'll talk about that more in just a second. A few practical lessons for you tonight, four of them to be exact, and then the lesson will be yours. Number one, God is serious about sin and is sin's enemy. If you're still there in the book of Joshua, go back to Joshua chapter seven with me, if you will. Joshua chapter 7, as we read and meet a man by the name of Achan, the sin of Achan. We read from the book of Joshua that God is serious about sin, and he is sin's enemy. If you recall in Joshua 7 there that Achan had kept some of the sacred things, some of the things they were not supposed to take after the defeat, and he keeps them and he hides them, and it brings a sin upon the people. And, of course, we read there in that section, if you recall, down in verses 25 and 26, well, even back up through there, excuse me, the fact that they're going to punish, that they're going to stone him with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones, and they raised over him a great heap of stones still there to this day. And so we think about the punishment that is meted out there to Achan, who had the sin, and to all of his people, and to all of his family that are gathered there as well, punishment that goes out to them, even because of this great sin, we recognize that God is serious. He's not playing when it comes to sin, and he is sin's enemy. When we think about the conquering of Canaan as well, the conquering of Canaan was not only to give God's people a dwelling place, but that as well was to punish the people of Canaan, the wicked Canaanites. We don't have time to look at all the different verses, but there's a passage in Joshua, there's one in Leviticus, one in Deuteronomy, that points to the fact that God is going to punish those wicked Canaanites for the way that they have chosen to live. So yes, it does deliver the land of Canaan to the people, as he has promised, but it's punishment as well. God is serious about sin and is sin's enemy. And then you notice the passage there from the New Testament. With a lot of these lessons, we'll try to point out maybe a New Testament verse that we can look at as well. But 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10, that we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may give an account of the things that they have done, that each one may receive the things done in the body. And notice he says there, whether good or bad. God is serious about sin. I don't know any other way to say it. We must be prepared to give an account to a just and holy God. And as we've said in previous lessons before, that can be a very inspiring thing. That can be a very encouraging and hope-filled thing. Or it can be a very terrifying thing. That's up to you and that's up to me, how we choose to live our life. There is a holy and just God that we serve, and we need to be doing our best every day to realize how serious he is about sin, how he is the enemy of sin, and we need to do our best to be acting the same way. We need to be doing our best to be in accordance with him, and we see that in our life and even in the book of Joshua. Number two, God always keeps his promises. Again, we've talked about that just a few moments ago, so we won't go through it a whole lot again but again from the new testament second peter 1 3 and 4 that he's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness by which have been given to us exceedingly exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust god always keeps his promises he kept them to abraham isaac jacob moses he kept them to Joshua. He will keep them for us. And while we don't always see that in the moment, and I think that's what we struggle with a little bit, the idea that maybe God interacted with mankind one way in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, so to speak, if you will, that he interacted maybe in miraculous ways, and we don't have that exactly in our possession today. We don't have miracles that take place. We have the, the word all things that pertain to life and godliness, but we we sometimes struggle with that. The great promise that he's going to keep, of course, is the home of heaven for those who are found faithful. The great promise that he's going to keep, of course, that we don't want to think about is the promise of an eternity in hell for those who are not faithful, for those who do not obey the gospel of Christ. But he does keep his promises, and that is an important lesson from Joshua and, of course, even from Peter in the New Testament. Number three this evening. From Joshua chapter 24 in verse number 15, as we think about the passage of choosing this day whom you will serve, though we may be a part of a family who serves God, each of us must make a personal decision to serve the Lord. We had this discussion in our class just a few moments this morning. Uh, We were talking with Jerry Renfro. We made a few uh, comments in our class in adult classroom number one, but we kind of talked about, you know, those who were what we say raised in the church those who have been all their life attending the services of the church somewhere, and those who may be later in life. And as I look around the room, many of you fall into different categories of that, maybe somewhere in between. Maybe you weren't a young person, a child. Maybe you were a teenager. Maybe you weren't an adult. Maybe you were an adult that you started being interested in spiritual things, attending a church somewhere, becoming a Christian. But even if we do, even if we do, live in a family even if we are a part of a family that are that are great christians that are great christians we have to make a personal decision to serve the lord maybe you know many people maybe you know many preachers maybe you know many elders and other folks who were good men who were good people who were faithful christians yet who had children maybe that didn't turn out to be faithful christians Maybe there's others that, you know, of. we have a habit sometimes, of course, of, of talking about uh, members of our brotherhood, we say, or, or preachers that we love. And there's nothing wrong with maybe with enjoying having a preacher that we enjoy listening to. But just because you wear a last name of a famous person, a well-known preacher, doesn't mean that their children or grandchildren are going to be faithful any more than someone who's not as well-known. When we think about Joshua making that statement in there in chapter 24 and verse number 15, it's important that we consider that it's a personal decision for each one of us. There in 1 Thessalonians chapter (coughs) 2, excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 11 through 12, when Paul is writing there to those in Thessalonica, he, he makes a similar statement here to this idea of Joshua and the families. He says there at the end of verse number 11, That as a father does his own children. Think for just a moment about what Paul was going through. He's traveling around. He's stopping at these various churches or even establishing these churches, these congregations of people. And then later he sometimes comes back. And I can imagine being like a a father with children wanting to talk to them, wanting to encourage them. And so he says there in verse number 11, how we exhorted and comforted and charged you as a father does his own children. But verse number 12 says that you, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Paul says, I feel like a father. And of course, if we would want to claim any name, we would want to say that we were of Paul, that we were a descendant of Paul. If anybody that we want to claim as a family name, it would be Paul. Paul said, even as a father, that you would walk worthy of the calling of God. That you would walk worthy of God and what he has told you to do. It's interesting to think about all the many people who have been faithful over the years. And sometimes how families remain faithful, and sometimes how families are not faithful as the children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren come along. The key is it's a personal decision. And as we think about our lives, we must remember that. The fourth and final lesson is from, if you've got your Bibles there, and maybe you're still in Joshua, look in Joshua chapter 9 for just a moment. The last lesson, I didn't get the scripture reference on there, but from Joshua 9, 14, is that we must consult the Lord before making important decisions. In Joshua chapter 9, we read of one of the accounts that reminds us that, you know what? Joshua is great, but Joshua is not perfect. Joshua is a great man of God, but like so many of those great men of God, like Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and others, and even Moses, he's got his ups and downs. Joshua is a good man who sometimes makes some mistakes. We think about the battle of Ai and what happens with Achan there in Joshua chapter 7. In Joshua chapter 9, to try to sum it up as briefly as we can, uh, the Gibeonites are afraid. They've heard about Joshua and this army conquering people and they're afraid. So what they decide to do is become deceptive they decide to tell a little bit of a lie and to try to make themselves or ingratiate themselves with Joshua. And so they put on some disguises, if you will. And again, this is a very brief breakdown. I would encourage you to maybe read this tonight or through the week. But what they decide to do is to deceive Joshua and the people. And so what Joshua does is without consulting the Lord, he makes what we would call an illegal covenant with them. And then later when they recognize that they were not who they said they were, they're stuck. Because they're going to honor the word of Joshua here in this commitment, but it's interesting because in verse number nine and or chapter nine and verse number fourteen, then the men of Israel took some of their provisions, those Gibeonites, but they did not ask counsel of the Lord. We must consult the Lord before making important decisions. It's not that He's going to poof hit us upside the head and give us the direct answer every single time. But praying to God and consulting him with all the many things that we face is important. And here we see just a very brief snippet. They did not ask the counsel of the Lord. And Joshua was wrong. He entered into a legal covenant, and they were going to have to suffer for that. There's an interesting story there in chapter 9 of Joshua. Very quickly for the end, the theme. And this is why we sang the song, and I told you we'd come back. Faith is the victory. Throughout the book, book of Joshua there are three major military campaigns. Three major military campaigns. And there are at least or around 30 enemy armies that have to be taken on by Joshua and the children of Israel. So again, we come back to this idea of faith is the victory. It's very important because they are going to be caught up in all of these things. Three major military campaigns, 30 enemies, if you will. And the lesson time and time again through all of that is that victory comes through faith. Victory comes through faith in God and obedience to his word, not through military might, not through numerical superiority, not through having the biggest and the baddest weapons and the most men that you can have in your army. It comes through faith in God and obedience to his word. I would ask you again just to go back to the great walls of Jericho. How many great military strategists would have said, hey, let's march around the walls this many times. Hey, let's blow on the horns and make all this noise. Because you know what? That seems to have proven itself as a good fighting strategy. No one would say that but those who would follow after God. When God says, this is the way you're going to do it, we say, yes, sir, again, somewhat silly, I don't know if that's the proper word, but as Carl so greatly led us in this week, I'm in the Lord's army, yes, sir. I'm going to be obedient to his word because that is where faith is found, that is where victory is found. Encamped along the hills of light, as we sang just a few moments ago, ye Christian soldiers rise, that we would press the battle, that we would trust in him. It's all throughout the book, and we need to remember that even today. We may not face the same military strategies. We may not uh, face the same physical fight. We may not lose people who are standing by us to the sword and to blood that is spilled on the battlefield. But there's still a battle going on. The Bible makes that clear even in the New Testament. And I hope that as you think about the book of Joshua, even tonight, that you can take that with you, thinking about the battles that are going on, even in our world today, even against our adversary, the devil, who is seeking about as roaring, like lying, seeking whom he may devour. And that is where we conclude the book of Joshua in just a few moments this evening and ask for you to consider your life. What battle is it that you're facing? Are you trusting in God? Are you obedient to his word? That is where victory is found we sang faith is the victory a few moments ago we sang victory in jesus this morning the bible makes it abundantly clear who we need to turn to and even as we said in our lesson this morning he's where we turn to for rest his yoke is easy his burden is light maybe you're here tonight and you're not a christian you don't know that peace that passeth understanding you don't understand what it means to be at peace with god and with his son jesus because you never had your sins washed away in baptism. We'll be singing in just a moment to implore you to consider making that great commitment. Maybe you're here and you've done that. Maybe you signed up. Sign me up for the battle. But sometimes in the heat of the battle, we kind of tend to shrink away, like some people do. We kind of back away. We turn our back on God. We find ourselves in sin and we realize that we're not putting our trust in him. We're not putting our faith in the victory that is found in Jesus. Maybe you're here tonight, there's sin in your life that you need to repent of, turn back to him, and he is faithful and just to forgive. Maybe you need the prayers of this good congregation. Again, even as we see the children of Israel moving together, conquering together, there is a strength in numbers. There is an encouragement in fighting these battles as a people of God. Maybe we can encourage you with something else that you're facing in prayer. If you have any need, you can make it known as we stand together and as we sing.